Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. Uh, I'm Heath Leday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Uh, joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Badwater. How you doing? Uh, doing okay. The the switch flipped for summer today. Uh, that's true. We were recording. It was spring yesterday, and now it's summer today. <laughs> uh, we were recording on the solstice, uh, the <laughs> longest uh, day of the year. Um, uh, ha- how you been? Uh, any uh, health or family-related catastrophes? No, fortunately, everything's been kind of quiet. Uh, doing way too much work, um, but that's. Uh, finally settling down and yeah that's uh that's a good thing um i'd like to have uh extra time to do summer stuff as well as be ready for duck sports in the fall so can't be working 24 7 and do that well uh speaking of awfully quiet uh it is uh, Ducks Athletics is awfully quiet uh, this time of year. Uh, we're going into a period for uh, a few weeks now in which uh, the, the Ducks have you know no athletic uh, activities planned at all. Um, but that doesn't stop us from writing about stuff at uh, ATQ. Uh, you've written a couple of articles since the last time we talked. Uh, the first one I want to discuss is your softball roster update. Um, quite a few changes to the softball roster, uh, at the end of the year. Um, you want to give us a quick overview? Well, the, um, the transfer portal being what it is, you know, it's, it's, it looms there, uh, at the end of every season for every team and in, in every sport. Um, and softball is no exception. Last year we had, uh, three players that use the transfer portal and go elsewhere. And Coach Lombardi brought in um, a couple of um, pretty good components that contributed to uh, this last season's uh, performance. This year, we've had six so far. So we've had uh, twice the number of um, players using the portal system to go elsewhere. And as uh, luck would have it, bad or otherwise, uh, three of those were pitchers. Yeah, that's the interesting thing is that like three of them, I sort of feel like are, uh, you know, not really a big deal, right? So Jasmine Williams, uh, I I think was going to be some sort of outfielder, but she redshirted last year. So, you know, no, no real... Uh, contributions there uh gabby herrera um who was definitely an outfielder but like you know 
uh, in the reserves, right? Um, you know, she, she wasn't a starter, um, or really a huge contributor. Um, and then Rachel Sid, uh, the third baseman who I've always liked, you know, I feel like, you know, she's a pretty good team player and I actually was a little surprised that she hit the portal. But on the other hand, like, I think that they've recruited, um, this position pretty well. And I, I don't know, she might've heard footsteps, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like you say, the, you know, the, the attrition going on with those players and those positions, uh, isn't something that's insurmountable and it, yeah, yeah that's I, to be expected. I mean, if it was just those three, uh, you know, two reserve outfielders and the third baseman with, you know, uh, you know, other third baseman coming up behind her, um, I would totally write it off as this is just normal, even healthy attrition that you sort of expect to see um, in the era of the transfer portal. Um, what is alarming is the three pitchers. That's like the other end of the spectrum. Um, now, a, a couple of those, I don't know. I, I think you could probably see the writing on the wall, right? So, um, mechanic Lathermis, you know, who I know, you know, Badwater, you and I have been talking all year long um, about, like, you know, her struggles with consistency. Um, you know, uh, I would think that at best she would be the third. Um, you know, the third pitcher uh, on this team. And, and uh, so like, I, I wasn't like super surprised about that one. I also wasn't super surprised about um, Jordan Dale um, because she had sort of been, you know, relegated to relief and she wasn't really a great reliever. I believe that she was injured at some point, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, but the bottom line is that she contributed very little in the second half of the season and, you know, certainly in the latter half of the uh, Pac-12 segment so I, of the season. So, you know, seeing her want to um, go to different pastures, uh, again, isn't, isn't a huge surprise. So, so again, like, you know, kind of like the, the other, you know, the other three, I'm sort of like, yeah, you sort of saw that writing on the wall, you know, and assuming that Oregon has a, you know, healthy recruiting pipeline and a healthy, you know, intake of new players through the transfer portal that like that sort of give and take is just modern college athletics. Um, and that, you know, if you, if you let go folks who are not producing for you and and what that clears up is the roster space to maybe get somebody who will produce for you. Like, you know, you're sad to see him go, but like you sort of understand that, you know, that that's natural. The, the, the gobsmacker was Brooke Inez, right? Um, Absolutely. You, uh, why don't you give us a rundown on, on her story? Well, she was uh, out all season with a shoulder injury uh, announced that she um, wouldn't be pitching very early in the season, um, but had said that she was uh, going to be back in 2023. And, and the expectation was that she was going to be the ace, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so that's, that yeah, started yeah, hopefully off. She re hopefully she returned, would return to uh, 2021 form where she was just outstanding. So that sort of started off Oregon's 2022 season, you know, on, you know, wrong footed. Um, but then, you know, as we sort of watched, you know, Oregon's pitching staff over the course of the year, you know, it, 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 like, I mean, I don't think we recorded a single podcast in which we didn't say, 
Yeah, but all of this is just, you know, waiting for Guffman, you know, like all of this is just waiting for for Inez to get healthy and take over again, because that's the expectation. And so we were like, you know, we we're pleasantly surprised by freshman Stevie Hansen. We we're like, oh, great. You know, a good bridge to 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 get us to Inez being healthy. So when she hops in the portal and leaves, it's like, oh, my God, you know, like that, that was really stunning. Um, you got any guesses about why that should be? Uh, no, it's just uh, purely speculation. As I said in the article, there could be um, several things going on. Um, we we really don't have any idea uh, who Lombardi might have in the works, uh, recruiting wise. She she has to know. She's known uh, all year that uh, pitching is something that she has to resolve and and by leaning on it just one returning a starter for one year um that's just a a short-term band-aid you still need to uh go out and recruit effectively um we we don't really know the extent of yanez's injury at all and you know how that um, might impact um, her ability to pitch at Oregon or anywhere else. And um, and in a way, I'm kind of puzzled by uh, a lot of discontent in the pitching staff with the with the people who are pre- um, presumably starters or are going to be starters. And so it kind of uh, makes you wonder if there isn't uh, some sort of an undercurrent in the locker room. But again, that's all speculation. Yeah. And nobody's said anything. It's, it's a really curious situation. Well, you know, what, what makes it really weird is that like, uh, okay, it's not like Lombardi immediately announced, you know, that they were getting a new pitcher out of the portal, you know, like it's not, it, it, it does not appear to be a situation where she knew who the replacement was going to be. And Yunez was like, you know, I'm, I'm still recuperating from this injury and there's a new person coming in and, you know, I, I'm going to lose my spot. And so I want to pr- head that off and hop in the portal and go elsewhere. Like that doesn't appear to be the case. It appears no. to be the case that she, you know, uh, uh, well, I don't know what it appears to be the case, but you know, the, the, the it, it, it is surprising. It's not like, or, you know, given the transfers out of Clothermis and Dale, like it's, there was no pressure at all on, on her to leave. Like that was her room, you know, as we discussed over and over and over again during the room or during the year. Uh, And, you know, so it, boy, it's just hard to read that as anything other than a referendum on, you know, I don't want to, to be here. Uh, You know, I doubt that has anything to do with Eugene. It probably has to do with sort of, you know, mounting, um, sort of frustration with, you know, that we're going to be going into what year five of Melissa Lombardi. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like, you know, doesn't feel like it, 
it, it felt like, you know, all season long, like, well, they just need to get the pitching fixed, you know, and, and we all know why there was a problems because Yunez wasn't healthy. And so like, let's, you know, put this off till next year to really, you know, evaluate whether or not Lombardi should be on the hot seat. Well, it doesn't look like it's going to get fixed, at least at this point, like, you know, it, it it, if I had to make a guess, I, I'd probably guess the 2023 team is not as good as the 2022 team, and the 2022 team was disappointing. Um, I, you know, I guess this, you know, uh, unless, you know, tomorrow they or I, you know what, it's six months before the start of the season. We probably shouldn't be too maximalist about this, but like, you know, my opinion could change on this if they announce, you know, some in some influx in the transfer portal uh, to like, uh, you know, fill in some of these, these roster potholes, but if that doesn't happen and it's like, well, we're just going to go to war with the, the, you know, the, this particular roster and whatever people that we're going to recruit, like I, I'd start talking about Lombardi on the hot seat. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot has, um, gone wrong with, uh, pitching in the 2022 season. And with the transfers, you know, illustrating a need um, for more pitching and better pitching, uh, Lombardi said uh, has to make the the right moves now. She's got she has until the beginning of next season to uh, put together the the pieces on the most glaring issue uh, on her roster. Which is well, which is pitching, and if she can't do that, then yeah, I don't see how her seat doesn't become hot. Well, you know, I think the thing that's you know, like really disturbing is that you know the reports are that that Yunez is going to UCLA, right? Like, um, you know, the, the, probably the number one or number two obstacle to to Oregon, you know, reclaiming the top spot in in Pac-12 softball is just like the juggernaut that that UCLA is built, and like you know, flipping over to the you know to the Bruins is just like you know that that doesn't really indicate that Yunez is like afraid of competition, right? Like that that sort of indicates the opposite um, that she's you know doesn't think that that you know, Oregon's going to win under Lombardi. Like it's, it's hard to take it as any other referendum as that. Um, and like, you know, I, I don't know, maybe my opinion shouldn't be so easily swayed by like one, uh, college student's opinion on this coaching staff, but like, I don't, you know, it, it's hard to read it as anything but that. And, and it's hard to imagine. Um, I, I don't know. It's hard to imagine at this point, Lombardi, you know, uh, uh, uh executing a masterful turnaround. Um, the on the other hand like i don't think that rob mullins the athletic director is interested in dumping a bunch of money on this fire you know like i i you know i doubt he wants to pay uh you know to to, to pay to 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 fire lombardi and to to hire you know a new person at this point given that he balked at the you know extra salary demands that mike white um put on him a couple of years ago like uh you know, I think that probably, you know, Oregon just sort of settles, you know, at this point, I, that that's what I'm looking at. Like, do you think I'm crazy? No, no, I think that's, that's spot on. If uh, Mullins was interested in um, churning out some extra money and keeping a, a great coach, he would have held on to white and that didn't happen. 
Yeah. So I mean, I think like so, everybody who's listening to this podcast like really enjoys softball. It is you know a, 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 I I personally find it the most enjoyable of the um you know the 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 sports that are played after football. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, and you know. I, but I, I think there's a disconnect. Like it just doesn't pull in enough money. Like it's, it is as enjoyable as it is. It is still a money loser. And like, just, you know, Rob Mullins is very hard headed or, or, you know, very numbers type of guy. And like, I, I think he just sort of says like, this isn't, this isn't worth the money, you know? Um, and you know, the other thing that should be said for Melissa Barty is that other than this pitching snafu, like I, you know, she's managed the team pretty well, like considering like the massive departures that Mike White, you know, took, uh, you know, getting to a spot where like your expectations that Oregon will perform as well as it did under Mike White, like, you know, that that's one of those things where if like, you know, you do just a good enough job so that people notice that you didn't do a fantastic job. Like it's one of those traps. Uh, you know, yes. I think when Melissa Lombardi is in that trap, like, um, and, and if this pitchers pitching situation could be resolved, like I, I would, you know, I, I flip right over to be like, this is fine. Um, but it doesn't look like it's going to get resolved. You know, that's my take. Yeah. And it just, it looks like a uh, Oregon softball, um, in the interim, <clears throat> excuse me, if things aren't uh, resolved, is just kind of in an uncomfortable place. Because if you're thinking about replacing Lombardi, then you're you're at that uh, conundrum of, well, who do you bring in that's supposedly better? Right. You know, I have a hard time answering that question. And like, you know, if you can't, you know, if you can't get a a, a, a championship performance off of the Oklahoma, you know, softball team, like, where do you turn to? Like, where's the, where's the softball factory if it's not, you know, Oklahoma, um, you know, but but like I said, you know, most of the way that Oregon softball has performed under Melissa Lombardi, I would rate, you know, somewhere between good and excellent. Like they clearly have, um, you know, a good recruiting operation going. They clearly have athletic advantages over many of the teams that they play. Like, you know, the batting, the fielding, the, the small ball, I think the strategic decisions that they make about how they manage the game are, you know, appropriate. It's just, you know, where are the aces, um, you know, has been the big question and, and, and it, it, it just got worse. So, uh, yeah. I, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, exactly. A, a, a bad situation got worse. And so coach Lombardi has an issue. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about some football transfers. So uh, the more recent article that you published, Badwater, is uh, about uh, defensive transfers on the football team. There are four of them um, this year. There's a couple other uh, transfers who came in earlier, like uh, Bennett Williams and DJ Johnson um, Mm -hmm. uh, from from Illinois and, and Miami, respectively. I like both of those dudes a lot. Uh, you know, Oregon has seemed to, you know, they don't hit the transfer portal nearly as hard as some other teams. Like I was just before we hopped on, I was, I was doing film study on, uh, the USC spring game. And like, those guys took, I think something like 20 transfers, like it's bonkers. Oregon is a a little less profligate than that. Um, but it looks like they got some good guys out of the transfer portal, uh, this time. Uh, why don't you give us a rundown? Well, um, defensive, defensively, 
that Oregon's done a good job of filling in some depth uh, in some problem areas, uh, especially the secondary. You know, there were some some cornerback transfers out. We had some uh, attrition um, with the likes of McKinley and whatnot, and you know the. Well, McKinley's second. a DB, but you're right. Like the, the yeah. cornerbacks are, um, yeah, it was really bad. It was, you know, Mikhail Wright um, left early to try the NFL and, and didn't get drafted, which was actually a really surprised guy. Um, I think that Mikhail Wright's a really good, you know, cornerback. But then two transfers out, DJ James, who was the other starter, um, uh, went to Auburn. And then Jalen Davies um, uh, also transferred out as well. Um Frankly, I think all three of those guys should have come back. Uh, you know, I think they would have been happier if they did, but they didn't. And so it's sort of like, yeah, they definitely need some more bodies. Yeah. And um, and looks to me like uh, Oregon hit pay dirt when they got a hold of Christian Gonzalez from mm-hmm. Colorado. That was, uh, a, as I said in the article, about as good a get for – you know, shoring up the cornerback position as you could hope for from the portal. Yeah, I really can't. I can't imagine like a better, you know, realistic anyway. I mean, you know, in terms of like who's available. Uh, and then on top of that, like, you know, he's a he's a four star B. He was a starter. C. He has multiple years of eligibility left because he um, he was a 2020 recruit and, and played as a true freshman. But 2020 doesn't count. So he's only used one, you know, one out of his, you know, uh, uh, five to play four. Right. So he's still got um, four to play three remaining with Oregon. Um and uh, and on top of that, he's familiar with, uh, you know, the, the cornerbacks coach because Oregon took Colorado's cornerbacks coach too, D- D- Demetrius yeah. Martin. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's hard to imagine, you know, any better uh, get out of the port- portal than, than Gonzalez at a position where, yeah, that's that's it, man. That's the number one position of need that Oregon has the cornerback spot. So, yeah. Uh, yeah two more christian gonzalez's please yeah and then um the other defensive uh transfers are all uh line players Mm -hmm. you know big bodies and um you can't have enough um good defensive line depth um these and these guys are um potentially starters like uh like jordan riley but um but i kind of see the the ducks probably wanting to uh you know swap these guys in and out oh sure um and you know be able to to rest the uh rest of the line well i think they got it looks like to me that they got two backup nose tackles right so so like popo amavai returns he's clearly going to be the starting uh nose tackle assuming that he's healthy he was held out uh, of the spring game um and also didn't play in the bowl game because of health issues but assuming that he's healthy again he's clearly the starter but they got uh, jordan riley um who's 330 pounds um from nebraska and sam taimani uh who's also 330 pounds from uh washington um uh uh i 
you know, I, I'm not sure who's going to be the two, who's going to be the three there, but like, I can tell you, yes, you absolutely need nose tackles, you know, in, you know, this defensive structure, um, and having, you know, multiple ones who are good and who have played, um, yeah, like great. And, and you know, it, it's funny, you know, Washington fans are upset with Sam Taimani because it's like, you know, where are all the sacks as though the 330 pound, you know, one tech, you know, in that, you know, two down scheme is supposed to be getting set. It's just like, boy, it's really frustrating how poorly, you know, Washington fans understand their own defensive structure. I, you know, I've been writing about Sam Taimani for several years now. I think he's, you know, a damn good get. Um, and then uh, the, 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 and then the two guys, Jordan Riley, who again I think is a backup nose tackle, um, um, is uh, is certainly interesting. He's good depth to have, but it's interesting because both of the other two are Nebraska guys, right? Like the, uh, um, which you know that's that's again following a coach, right? Tony Tuiati, who was the Nebraska defensive line coach, which was interesting. I actually recently put on some film. I was I was on a different podcast and I was admonished for not having watched enough Nebraska film to really understand these guys. So I did that and like, yeah, I think Casey Rogers is a real deal. Um, now he's not a nose tackle. That's that guy's like two ninety five. That guy's you know probably you know the in this, you know, system is like more like an end, you know, that guy's probably going to be playing behind Brandon Dorless, um, Keon Weir Hudson, you know, those guys, um, uh, I think he's pretty damn good. And, um, and like, I was actually really impressed with, you know, Nebraska, you know, this joke about them, this team that's like, you know, they, they, they had a terrible record and yet they had, uh, you know, they, they, I believe they scored more points than they, than they gave up. Right. You know, like the, if, mm-hmm. if, if the entire season were simply one giant game, they would have won that game. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, and the reason that they were, you know, so close in all these games is that the defense is actually really good. And I, I really thought it started with the line. And the other thing about Tuiati that we mentioned is that, you know, where he was before he went to Nebraska. Um, I don't recall. He was at uh, Cal in 2018, the last time they oh, had Cal. a really okay. good defensive line. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, no, there's, that's definitely a good connection. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, you know, no one really noticed it at the time. Um, but Tony Tuiati might have been, like, the sneaky, secret, like, one of the best hires um, for this staff. And then picking up, like, two pretty good-looking linemen from Nebraska, you know, is, is you know, quite the icing on that cake. Uh, right. And like we've, um, you know, discussed to date, you know, it's, it's important to have linemen and have depth. Um, but these days you have to have large and hopefully, um, you know, athletic enough linemen because, you know, it, the days of, um, the ducks, getting by on linemen that are only uh, 6'3 or so. Yeah. Um, and getting overpowered by bigger lines is, yeah, that, that's over. You, you have to have the big bodies. Yeah, the defensive lines, you know, yeah, there's definitely been a transformation. And the other thing is that, like, you need to have the right body type for your defensive scheme. Like, you know, most positions on the football field, you know, the – 
I, I, I've notedly been a skeptic of the transfer portal, uh, you know, having done all the projects that I do, you know, the teams that are convinced themselves that are like, oh, you sucked at your last school, but you'll come to when you come to my school, we'll unlock your potential because we're fantastic developers. It's like not that doesn't really happen, buddy. Like, you know, it, it really just doesn't. Um, there are two exceptions, you know, one's quarterback. We've seen that one over and over and over again, right? Like that, you know, oh, yes. kid just like didn't click with the previous scheme or previous staff. And then he changes schools and it's great. You know, like in 2019, uh, three of the four quarterbacks of the playoff teams were all transfers, right? Joe Burrow, you know, uh, uh, um, Justin Fields and, uh, and, and, uh, the, the Alabama guy, um, Oh gosh, I'm blanking uh, on his name. Jalen Hurts uh, to Oklahoma. Um, uh, you know, like like transfer quarterbacks. Yeah, sure. You know, go ahead and bet on that one. Um, but the other one, the other position is defensive line, where like if your body type is not the correct one for your defensive scheme, like uh, it just doesn't work out for you. So like Oregon lost a defensive lineman to the transfer portal, Christian Williams. But like if you look at, you know, he was six three two eighty. That's like that and like the the way that his like waist is cut like it's just that he he, he didn't fit you know he didn't fit you know with this front on the other hand they lost a, you know and so like you know basically you can view like casey rogers and christian williams as a trade you know like and that is a profitable trade for you know this scheme um the one that really hurts is jason jones uh you know six six three ten those guys are hard to find um uh and athletic too like he can he could move like that one really hurt um but i think that you know picking up you know some other big guys to sort of you know t- tide you over you know like taimani and riley and you know knowing that like you know, so, so much of what Oregon recruited was in 2019, you know, which means they've got a couple extra years of eligibility. So like Brandon Dorless, I think was great as a true freshman in 2019, but then you also have like Trevor Mai, uh, Keon Weir Hudson, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Salva Poti, like all, all four of those guys are 2019 guys. They still have, you know, some extra eligibility left. Um, you know, it's not like Jason Jones leaving, you know, really leaves them in the lurch. Um, but you know, to your point, yeah, you absolutely need to be recruiting bigger dudes. Like this, this is no longer like the praying mantis style defensive lineman. It's like, nah, this is serious. They need to be big. They need to be athletic. They need to be fast. They need to, you know, have long arms. They can leverage properly and and not get like uh you know held up by you know offensive linemen um uh yeah it's just you know there's a reason why those guys are totally at a premium there's a reason why the you know pac-12 football often struggles when they play uh, you know against teams from other areas because the good defensive line bodies are so hard to find you know on the west coast and like and it means that if you're good at you know finding and getting those guys to you know come to your school you instantly have an edge over the rest of your pac-12 competition because they ain't gonna get them uh those guys are worth their weight in gold and so yeah taking three defensive line transfers like yeah you bet that sounds you know entirely appropriate and i'm glad that oregon kept them away from other pac-12 schools yeah, and um, uh, all four of the players that uh, Oregon chose, um, you know, are are good additions. They they're selective additions in areas of need, and mm-hmm. um, and they all look to be um, good pieces. You know, a, a good fit to the overall puzzle. 
the the last thing that I want to say uh, about this, and this is a little sneaky, but like, uh, what was Oregon's big defensive problem last year? Hmm. It was it was all the inside linebackers who were injured, right? You know, yeah, it was yeah. The, I was gonna say in injury. Yeah, you know, it was the Justin Flo and Jackson LaDuke, you know, and, and Drew Mathis. And and then, you know, it kept getting worse, too. Like, Keith Brown missed some games with injuries, right? Like, um, to the point yeah, where... It, they, it almost seemed like Seoul uh, was, you know, single-handedly keeping yeah, things exactly. together there. And they had to, like, they, you know, they had to play true freshmen, like Keith Brown and Jeffrey Bassa. And, like, Bassa was a converted safety, you know? like um, And, and so... You know, here Oregon recruits. So, you know, what happens in 2022? Um, you know, Oregon goes out and recruits a couple of uh, four stars, you know, in the 2022 class, Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart. Um, they uh, get, you know, every they, they lose Nate Hiaklani, who was the senior walk on. They lose Drew Mathis, who's the Juco. He, you know, ran out of eligibility. Um did Oregon take a bunch of transfers at inside linebacker to patch up the problem that they had last year? Nope, no, 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 like that's, you know, that's so, sort of the and, sneaky and, thing. And, that's, yeah, and it's, it's a good move and you're, you're counting on, um, you're counting on lightning, not striking twice again on your yeah. inside linebacking core and that you, you at least see, uh, some of the guys that were injured last season through most or, or of the season. Or if it does, they're, they're if, if lightning does strike again, they are betting on those true freshmen. Like they're betting yeah. on Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart being, you know, ready to play and where it's, it's much harder. Like Oregon took some true freshmen on the defensive line, right? Like they took, um, uh, Ben Roberts and, and Sir Mel's both of which they beat Washington for, which was just delightful. Um, but like, unlikely those guys are going to be ready to play right away. On the other hand, linebackers, you can, you do sometimes see linebackers play um, right away. And, and so, you know, whereas on the defensive line, they were like, we need to shore this up with, you know, with some transfers, you know, cause we're going to go to consistently three down front. That, that was, I think really the other message about the defensive line transfers is like, we're not satisfied turning this into a two down front. We need enough bodies so that we consistently do three, which made me really happy because that's the magic of the mint front. And also I've been doing all these preview projects on, teams that are trying you know that are structured to run a three down front and then they oops we don't have enough nose tackles so we'll just run a two down you know two four five you know scheme you know and, and which is our passing down configuration and we'll just do that all the time and it'll be fine right no it's not fine they wind up getting you know killed by the run oregon was like no we're not going to do that we're going to take the transfers that we need we're not going to bet on our true freshmen we're not going to bet on being effective at being a two down we need more bodies and they went and they got them they've got some good looking dudes linebacker on the other hand that's not what they you know they solved the problem on they solve the problem on we're going to bet a all of these guys are healthy again um which that's a good signal i i liked you know receiving that signal and b that if lightning strikes twice that the guys that we're going to rely on are these true freshmen not transfers we're going to rely on our true freshmen that you know that's the confidence that we have and like that you know that the remarkable thing is that devin jackson harrison tagger the two four-star um inside linebackers that were recruited in the 2022 class i can tell you I, i've done you know preview projects on just uh, you know I, I i'm almost done you know you know i've, I've conducted almost every audio interview that they, they are not published yet but they will be soon um and like let me tell you if just about any other team in the Pac-12 recruited a pair of four-star inside linebackers. It wouldn't be a conversation 
uh, it wouldn't even be a conversation about them redshirting. They would be starting right away because they had to. And Oregon is in a position where like, no, th- we trust that these guys are going to redshirt. We don't need any transfers to take their spots. Um, we're going to let them develop, uh, you know, and uh, and if worse comes to worse, we trust these guys to play. Um, but it's probably not going to do that because they've got, you know, seven dudes in there or six or seven dudes in the room. Uh you know, yeah, I, I I liked that statement. This has all been a long digression on uh, the the part of your article that you didn't write. You did not write about Oregon taking inside linebacker transfers. You might have thought that they would, given that it was the problem last year, but they didn't. And I think that sent a really good message. Um, I, yeah. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Landing and company has been selective and smart. And, you know, if, knock on wood, if uh, things go well, uh we have the potential to really have a monster defense next season. Oh, sure. I mean, they've got two five-star inside linebackers. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. nobody else gets to say that. Right. Like, uh, and you know, that, uh, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about the article I'm going to write tonight. <laughs> All right, we're back. So uh, on Monday night, which was yesterday, uh, I uh, recorded a podcast with a good friend of ours, uh, Jeff Neusser, um, who writes for Kook Center, the uh, our sister site on the SB Nation network um, for the, the Washington State Cougars. Um, I've interviewed Jeff a number of times. I really like our, our conversations. Um, I uh, have finished extracting all the notes from the audio and I'm busy, you know, writing this article. Uh, I've got to do a USC preview or podcast tomorrow morning. So I don't know how I'm going to make this work, but it'll be published on Thursday morning. I promise. Um, And uh, uh, Wazoo's a a pretty interesting team. Um, You know, they're, uh, they're, they're going through some um, uh, pretty significant coaching changes and, and schematic changes uh, uh, too. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to writing this article. Like, even though I don't think that Wazoo is going to be like a super huge threat, um, they sort of can be, I think they're going to sneak up and beat a couple of teams that they, you know, that they wouldn't expect, which, you know, spoiler alert, they, they get Utah on a Thursday night in Pullman. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, um, but it is nonetheless, <laughs> I think it's it, <laughs> it, it is a fascinating uh, team. Well, they, they get Oregon and Pullman, too, but not on a Thursday night. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I, this is a really interesting team to write about. Um, so um, what are you looking at is as far as the the strengths of this um, Cougar team? You know, where, where are they really excelling? Well, the thing that they will, if they threaten people um, and they upset people, I guarantee you the way that it'll um, be is, you know, with with their passing attack on offense, they essentially bought. So uh, just to to recap, you know, Wazoo's story, um, they uh, uh, Mike Leach departed for uh, Mississippi State at the end of the 2019 season. They hired Nick Rolovich from Hawaii to run the run and shoot offense, although really it was sort of a hybrid of the run and shoot and like the pistol offense from Nevada, because that's where Rolovich worked for uh, a while. Um, Anyway, uh, it was pretty up and down. Um, 
And, uh, and on top of that, you know, Rolovich and four of his assistant coaches turned into COVID truthers. So they all got fired in the middle of 2021. Um, they, uh, the, the defensive coordinator that, uh, Wazoo hired at the same time that they hired Rolovich to run the team slash offense, uh, was Jake Dickert from Wyoming. Um, that was interesting because, uh, while I liked Dickert quite a bit, um, you know, I thought his defenses at Wyoming were pretty effective. He was running a four two five defense, which is pretty different from the three down defenses that Wazoo had run um, for the last, you know, for as long as I can remember. Um, but he actually managed that transition pretty effectively. Um, and I think that sort of like caught, you know, some attention, um, you know, by the staff. And so they just, you know, they when Rolovich was let go, they made him the interim coach and then they took the interim tag off, you know, so he it's his team now. And here's the other interesting thing, you know, half the staff got eliminated by this, you know, COVID nonsense, but like, um, Dickert decided to make a change anyway at offense. Like he didn't have to, but he got rid of, uh, of, you know, the offensive coordinator. And I think the running backs coach and the wide receivers coach too. Um, and he replaced them with air raid dudes. Basically they're going back to the air raid. Um, and not only going back to the air raid, but they bought, uh, the, the FCS team university, the incarnate word, they bought their offense lock, stock and barrel. So they got their, um, their offensive coordinator, Eric Morris, who was a former player for uh, Mike Leach at Texas Tech, and then also an offensive coordinator slash wide receivers coach for Texas Tech under Cliff Kingsbury. And then he became the head coach at Incarnate Word for the last four years. Um, he's running like a modified version of the air raid. That was one of the things that we talked about with Jeff is that like everybody who comes off of the Mike Leach tree doesn't want to run Mike Leach's version of the air raid. They want to do they want to merge it with some other offensive system. So like, you know, we've talked about Graham Harrell, who was a Mike Leach guy like he he wanted to do it with like multiple tight ends. Um, we've talked about Lincoln Riley, who is, a you know, comes off the Mike Leach tree. Like he wants to combine it with a power RPO game. Um, and Eric Morris wants to combine it with like a spread uh, option offense. So there's a bunch of like RPOs um, in it. Um, so, you know, that's pretty interesting that they got him. And then they also got the quarterback the, from Incarnate Word. His name is Cameron Ward. Um, and uh, he's an interesting QB. He he uh, he won the, uh, the the Jerry Rice Award, which I, I is um, I believe the given out to the best SDS player in the. It wasn't the 2020 season because the FCS, as you may recall, postponed their twenty fall 2020 season to the spring of 2021. So. It, it was that season that he won the Jerry Rice Award for. And then in, in 2021, he also had an excellent season. He threw like 47 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. He had like a 154 NCAA passer rating, which is pretty damn good. Um, uh, it's interesting to do, you know. So anyway, he's he's definitely, you know, familiar with that offense because he was running it for the last two seasons. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so. Uh, you know, they got him. And then they also got one of the, his top wide receivers to transfer in as well. I'm um, Robert Farrell. Um, so it's like, it's, it, they're going to hit the ground running. Like they know what they're, you know, like th that's often sort of the problem with, you know, teams when they adopt the air raid is that like, it takes a new quarterback, like several years to really get it because you have to be a total robot in the, in the air raid system. You can't, you don't have time to think at all. It has to be one, two, three, four, five progression, you know, and, and, and throw as soon as you see it. Um, and, you know, that's definitely like Cam Ward's strong suit. He has very quick processing in the field. He has very quick release. He has a really kind of wonky throwing motion. I think that would sort of like limit his deep downfield accuracy, but who cares? Deep downfield pass is not really part of the air raid. It's sort of a misconception mm -hmm. that people have about it. Um, it's really, you know, more, much more of like um, an efficiency sort of horizontal march 
the field kind of it's like stanford but through the air instead of on the ground um uh like there oh man that's a a large part of our podcast with jeff was like busting misconceptions about the area it seemed like they bothered him as much as they bother me which like i was like finding a kindred spirit in that regard um and then uh you know washington state's you know wide receiver core you know looks pretty good to me or at least it looks better than the rest of their you know the the rest of their um uh, offense which i mean really i mean there are so many departures for the rest of their offense which you know is sort of understandable given all the turmoil but like they lost max borgie and uh, Dion mockintosh back both of the running backs were really good for them um their tight ends are not going to be ready to play because it's a new position at washington state they're just not ready to go yet um they lost a huge amount off of their offensive line and like the to the point where like the You know, once we identified who the five starters were, it was then, you know, there are three scholarship backups like it's really they're really thin at the offensive line position and sort of like the upshot of all of this is that like there's one version of the offense that's um, it's just like throwing the ball a million times and getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands immediately because they're not going to have a run game. They don't have the offensive line or the running backs to the run game. They're, they're not really going to have a tight end passing game because they're not really going to have tight ends. Like they're not really going to have an RPO game because no one's going to take the run game seriously. Right. They're just going to back out and drop eight every single time. Um, and, and, and they're not going to be able to like answer that by running the ball because it just can't. Um, but you know, my stars, Kim Ward gets the ball out of his hand fast. Um, you know, they're, they're going to surprise some people. Uh, I, I, you know, in Oregon is going to play them. Um, it's the, it's their, I believe it's their Pac-12 opener. I believe it's week four of the season. Um, so like on the other hand, we're going to get some good film because their second game of the season, they, they open with Idaho and then their second game of the season is at Wisconsin. Um, which like, those teams are totally different teams. On the other hand, like they may actually extinguish the supply of Bush light, um, between those two fan bases. Like (laughs) there may actually be no Bush light remaining for the rest of the country for like a good month after that game is played. Sorry. (laughs) Yep. So the, um, so Washington state has, um, They've gone through. Um, they've replaced how many of their coaches? Is it oh, like uh, all of them? Their, yeah, but like coaching staff. Then. Yeah, so you know that that was the thing was that you know Rolovich you know went away. Uh, four different assistant coaches went away. Dickert then, uh, because Dickert was promoted from DC to head coach, he you know he was also the linebackers coach, so they had to go get a new linebackers coach, right? And they had to get you know a new titular um, defensive coordinator. Although I suspect that Dickert is just going to continue to run um, that. Uh, you know, th- there's really you know basically there's three guys that Dickert let go that was sort of of Dickert's volition as opposed to getting fired for being COVID truthers. Um, And those were the, the OC uh, running backs coach, wide receivers coach. And then Mark banker, who was the safeties coach who uh, Oregon fans may recall. He was at, um, at Oregon state for a long time with, with um, uh, Mike Riley. Um, But, you know, basically sort of the circumstances of Rolovich's departure and his assistant's departure and then like having to promote Dickert up sort of like it knocked out almost the entire staff. Um, and then on top of that, he made some decisions to let some guys go. Um, 
there's yeah. So it's like Dickert's the only guy. The, no, I'm sorry. There's two of them. Uh, Dickert and the defensive ends coach, AJ Cooper. Um, everybody else. 365 days ago, um, the, those jobs were filled by different human beings. Um, it, it is, you know, almost total, um, uh, turnover on the other hand, like I, I don't really. And so like, yeah, the offensive scheme is definitely a change and that was definitely a decision. Um, and they definitely have some choices to make about like, are going, are we going to be, you know, really, really air raid? Cause that's all, you know, where our talent profile lies, or this is something that Jeff Neusser kept suggesting, you know, on our podcast is that like, Jake Dickert is a defensive minded head coach and they were definitely running the ball more when he took over, you know, in, in the interim half of the year for Wazoo and like defensive coaches tend to want to be, you know, really physical and establish a run game. And, you know, Jeff was suggesting that there may be some tension on the Wazoo team, you know, brewing for 2022 where Dickert may want to do stuff that they don't have the talent to do. And, you know, we're, and he's never been a head coach before, you know, that, that, you know, couple of games as an interim coach is the first time he's ever been a head coach. And like, we really don't know. It, 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 I, this is one of the reasons why I'm genuinely very interested to write about Wazoo and keep an eye on that team is that like, it's an unknown quantity. Like we really don't know how he's going to perform those like strategic calculi. Um, and it, it should be interesting to watch. Yeah. And starting with a, a fresh slate uh, yeah. all around, you know, coaching wise uh, for sure. Um, so just in general, um, what are we going to be seeing out of Wazoo's defense this coming season? Oh, I don't think the defense is going to be very good. Like it's, um, there's just no talent, you know, in it. I, I, there, I, I like a couple of their defensive ends, um, uh, Brennan Jackson and Ron Stone. Uh, they, when they made that, um, structural change from a three down to a four down front, they, it was, it was interesting, actually a, a several like long time dudes in their three down front, like who are still around, like including a couple of guys who were still playing last year, Willie Taylor and Dallas Hobbs, who were like redshirt seniors from the 2017 class, like, but they sort of get sidelined because of the wrong body types. Just like we were talking in the previous segment about like, you know, when, when the defensive scheme makes a shift, like defensive linemen are the guys who like there are winners and losers. And, uh, the winners anyway, were stone and Jackson. Those guys are actually pretty good. Um, uh, you know, their defensive tackles are undersized. Um, they're losing, uh, their two very extremely long in the tooth, uh, inside linebackers, uh, Jihad Woods and justice Rogers. Um, I don't really love the guys who are replacing them, although I didn't really love Woods or Rogers. Um, they, uh, and then the, the defensive backs are just a mess. Like, and it always is a mess at, at Wazoo. It's the position they recruit the poorest. And that's saying something. Cause like they're, they have the worst talent profile in the Pac-12. Like they'd be more comfortable. Like their their talent profile looks like a, Ma- a Mountain West team. Um, like their defensive backs, it's just a mess. Like there's no other way to put it. I'm not going to get into it. Like read my article. I I, I uh, when it is published, I, I I did my best to detail it. Um, the thing that's really interesting about Wazoo's defense. Um, again, I like Jake Dickert. I, I was impressed by how smoothly the transition went. I think they probably are doing about as well as they can given the talent limitations. The 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 thing that was really interesting is. Okay, so in 2019, an F plus the the advanced stats um, combination of FEI and SB plus, in F plus uh, in 2019 they were ranked 115th, uh, or excuse me, 100th out of 130 in 2019. They were ranked 115th in 2020, um, and so you sort of would have expected, uh, you know, for it to be bad in 2021 as well. Nope, they jumped to 43. 
which is still on the lower end of the power five, you know, like you expect the power five to make up the top 65 defenses because they're the most 65, the most talented teams. And so like they're on the bottom half of that. Comparatively speaking. Yeah. Like 72 ranks or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, you know, a huge jump, but here was the thing. And like I detailed this, I go into great depth. My article about this is that like, that improvement does not show up in my tally sheet. You know, I chart every single play um, and their, you know, per play efficiency numbers and their explosive defense, you know, numbers are exactly the same as in the last several seasons. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then I pull up the, the raw stats and it's like total yards surrendered. Um, also, to, you know, exactly the same. It's like, how can they have made a 72 rank jump when their, you know, per play numbers are, are exactly the same. Um, and, and, and I believe that I found the answer and Jeff cop to it when I asked him about it, which is that they had really good fumble luck. Um, they, uh, Wazoo's opponents, um, fumbled the ball 27 times last year. Uh, you know where that ranks in FBS? Wow. That's, it's more that's than two. Being... They played 13 games. So it's more than two per game. Right. And. So that would be easily put you in the the bottom quadrant of, of it, the rankings. Uh, yeah, it's it was actually the, the most that that <laughs> okay. Wazoo's opponents fumbled the most of any team in FBS, um, and it's just like every every advanced statistician will tell you the same thing. That's just random. Like they don't have some secret technique to, 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 to cause the ball to pop out. It, it just was happening for them. Um, and it's interesting. I found a parallel in 2017. Wazoo's defense was ranked number 23, which is like crazy because they were not a good defense at that point. And I, I found the same thing, which was the, you know, they were a top 25 defense for interceptions and fumbles, you know, in 2017 as well. Like that's how important turnovers are in mm-hmm. football, but like football is a crazy game because like turnovers are the most important thing. And they're also totally random. Like that's why this game is nuts. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of the thing about Wazoo is I don't actually think their defense was really good last year. They were just really lucky when it came to fumbles and sort of the thing about, you know, fumble luck is easy, come easy, go. And yeah. And, yeah, and, and the law of averages is going to catch up with you. And so it's like, I think the 2021 make Jake Dickert look better than um, than is really warranted. On the other hand, it's it is like almost inevitable that their F plus defensive ranking falls in 2022 because, you know, they're not going to have the same fumble luck. Give me a break. Um, and. You know, does that mean that there's going to be people in Pullman who are like, oh, fire to this guy. He lost his touch. Like, you know, the defense collapsed. And I'd be like, you know, I have a feeling that next year, you know, this time next year, I'm going to be Jake Dickert's biggest defender and being like, no, 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 you don't understand. You know, the 2021, that was a fluke. Like, you can't, you know, hold that as the expectation. Like, really, because I don't know really what the problem is. The Wazoo doesn't have any talent on their defense. And like, again, every time we talk about other teams, we're really just trying to talk about Oregon. Like, this is the biggest gap right? Oregon's number one, um, with a bullet, uh, in the PAC 12 in terms of average talent ranking and, uh, Wazoo is number 12, um, and and sinking. Um, and like, I like being (laughs) rooting for the more talented team. Like you, you don't have to like secretly, you know, pray that your fumble luck is really like exceptionally good again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, Uh, um, it the um and that's gonna 
uh, rear its head uh, again also, you know, as it has been, you know, the disparity in recruiting prowess. And, you know, especially now that Riley is uh, down in USC and and USC is going to be applying more pressure. Yeah, there's just no, there's not going to be any left. Like there's, to me, it looks like there's basically two seats at the table on the West Coast. And, you know, Oregon has one of them. You know, they've been sitting in that seat now for a while. Um, and USC was sort of in and out of their seat and, uh, and other teams that sort of been like sucking up, you know, recruits. And I think that's over. And I think that the, the, the main, you know, losers of Riley to USC are like the mid-level programs in the PAC 12, you know, like, you know, Washington, Arizona state, uh, Cal, you know, these teams that have been getting some four stars. I don't really think that Wazoo gets affected. The, the, you know, these Wazoo and USC do not recruit the same type of player, you know, not at all. Wazoo is recruiting like Mountain West type of players. But I will tell you, there's, there is, you know, one really clear effect, you know, speaking of the defense for Wazoo, which is that like, you know, after going through the entire roster with Jeff, you know, you can assemble a one deep. You know, you can figure out who the defensive ends and the tack, you know, the, who the starters are at all these defensive positions, um, you know, and in fact, a couple of them, you know, you can construct four man rotations, you know, and that, you know, that's fine. You know, it's necessary even, but like you can't find the depth like these guys, they have played no reps and they are not blue chips. They are like low three stars, two stars. They're totally inexperienced. And like if they have an injury. That's it. You know, like their production, you know, takes a serious hit because they don't have some other guy who can just step in and he's just as good because he's a super talented dude. Um, you know, and that was one of the things that we talked about with Jeff is that like you can just you can track how good Wazoo's season is based on their injury reports. You know, when they have, you know, when they have good injury luck, they have a good season. When they have bad injury luck, they have a bad season. When they have average injury luck, they have an average season, you know, and and really, you know, there's a lot of things that good recruiting does for you. One of the probably major ones or the, or the one that like um, is most significant, but under the radar is it, it gives you a cushion. It lets you get through normal injury luck by just subbing in another blue chip. Um, and, you know, people yeah. sort of don't appreciate that. Cause they're like, Hey, we recruited this four star and like, he only played some backup reps in like one year. So like, boy, we sure didn't develop him very well. And it's like, nah, dude, that's not how it works. The fact that you had a blue chip who was able to step in and, you know, he was, he was happy to just get, you know, those reps, like that is unbelievably good news. Um, and when I do profiles of teams like Wazoo, where that doesn't get to happen, like, yeah, that, that doesn't get to happen. Yep. Yeah. There's, a, a an awful lot of teams out there that, that are in the same position, you know, where they're, they're not really in the mix for top recruits and, um, yep. Some injuries and your season has gone downhill and, Oregon's been one of those teams in the past. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing is like, it's sort of, you know, a lot of these teams that I've been profiling over the course of this series, you know, that don't, you know, recruit particularly well, it's like looking at them in 2022 is like looking into a a portal to the past for Oregon. You know, it's like, this is what, you know, like the recruiting services didn't really exist prior to 2000. Well, they they did, but like they, they weren't like standardized and rigorous until about like 2008 or so. Um, 
you know, Oregon was playing football prior to 2008. Um, but we don't know exactly what guys, you know, would have rated. We can just sort of guess that, you know, this was the basic talent profile. Um, you know, looking at teams like, you know, Wazoo and Cal and what Stanford has become and Colorado and, you know, in Oregon state and all these other teams that I profiled so far, it's like, yeah, them in 22, 2022, that's about what Oregon was probably in like 1997, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. And it's like all those struggles and ups and downs and like, you know, being on a roller coaster for all those years, like, yeah, that was, in some ways it was really fun, you know, stressful, but fun. And, you know, but, but when you start recruiting, well, you like stabilize a lot more, you know, and like, boy, it's better for your blood pressure. (laughs) It sure is. And I don't, I don't know how like a Wazoo fan, you know, deals with deals with stuff like that. No, wait. Yes, I do. They're famously all drunks. You know, you're, you know, Oregon fans, let me put it this way. Uh, 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 the, the recent recruiting successes of the previous staff and this staff, um, your liver will, uh, you know, owes those guys a thank you card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's put, um, uh, Oregon on a different level. Depth, depth is just everything because the, the injuries are going to happen. It's just a question of how many, and how critical yeah. it, it, a component is the, the player that just got injured. All right. I think that's going to wrap us up uh, for this week. Uh, uh, check out Badwater's articles uh, on uh, the softball and, and football uh, uh, updates. Uh, check out my article on Wazoo that'll be uh, published on Thursday morning. Um, that's it for me. You got any parting words for us, Badwater? Uh, is it August yet? <laughs> not quite. No, it's not. My calendar says June. Anyway, go Ducks in the meantime. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you on the flip side.